Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron and this is Tammy, and we're so glad you're joining us today. It's wonderful to see you guys today. And if this is your first time to join the New City family, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Let us know that you're here. You can go to the website, newcity.us connect. We have an online connect form. Fill that out and Ron or I will contact you this week to say hello. And we have a really big announcement coming up, but first let's worship together. Well, hello, New City. Glad you're with us today. It says in Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. What a great promise that is, that we have a God who's with us, who cares for us, and who loves us. So let's sing together. You make it easy to love you. You are good and
that line that we just sung that says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. When I sang that, it just reminded me of how not firm life feels right now. Just real unsettled, a lot of anxiety. But you know what? It's true. If we trust him and we build our life on him, he gives us that firm foundation. And we have some really big news to share with you today. We're really excited about it. And if you're on our email list, you've probably already seen this, but we're going to be welcoming you back home to our campuses on August the 9th. Yes, welcome home on August 9th. We're so excited to be together. We hope that you are too. You can go to the website, newcity.us slash welcome home to see the details of that August 9th regathering. And hey, if you're not quite ready to regather in person, we completely understand that. And that's why we'll continue every week to be sharing New City online with you guys. And as we enter into our time of giving, we want to remind you the best way to give is through our website, newcity.us give. And I want to read with you one of my favorite verses about generosity from 2 Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do allow us to join you in the work that you're doing in our city. Father, we're so honored to be able to, to give resources and time and energy to your work. And Father, I do pray that you would continue to use New City, and this church, and this body of believers to bring gospel renewal to your city and world. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And last week we were challenged to search our hearts for any blind spots that we have. And, and kind of one of my takeaways from last week was we never stop growing. We never stop becoming more aligned to the heart of God. And today we'll continue being challenged in that way. And today's message portion isn't going to look quite like it usually does. But we know that God is going to challenge you and teach you. So let's see what God has for us today. Thanks for joining us for New City Online. So glad to have you with us today. I'm Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here. And last week, we began a brand new series entitled Blind Spots, Seeking Justice from the Inside Out. And since we know that we all have blind spots, we decided on last week to take a look at our personal responsibility, the inner work that we all have to do as it relates to overcoming our blind spots. And in doing so, we took a look at Psalm 139 and, and challenged ourselves to ask the same questions that David asked when he asked God to search his heart and to know him and to point out anything in him that offends him and then to lead him along the path of everlasting life. And so today I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse number 17. If you have a copy of those scriptures, I invite you to turn there with me. It should be preloaded in the app for you as well. But I want to take a look at this particular scripture today because I think it will help us to continue to keep the conversation going as we continue to deal with blind spots. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the word of the Lord reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And chapter 6, verse 1 says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And this, this scripture is, is so important to me because we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to not take the grace of God in vain. And so today we're going to keep the conversation moving. I'm happy to have some family members here with me to move the conversation forward, led by Pastor RJ. But before we hear from them, let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you. We honor you. We praise you for this day that you have made. We thank you, Lord, that in spite of all that's going on in the world, you decided to arrest our attention and to have us focus on our blind spots, Lord. And so, God, I pray that as we begin and continue to do the inner work, that you would guide our conversations today, that you would guide our conversations in our groups and in our families, and that you would be glorified as we converse one with another, God, and that you would help us to be vulnerable and humble and willing to do our part to advance your kingdom, first in our own life, and then in our communities, in our city, and in our world. So we give you this time, this space. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Rodney. And uh, again, let me add my welcome. I'm RJ. Welcome to New City Online. Thank you so much for being with us, family. It's great to be here. And today's going to be a little bit different, and I'm excited about that uh, as we continue the series Blind Spots, Seeking Justice from the Inside Out. And, And Rodney last week preached on Psalm 139 and really asked us to examine our hearts, the innermost part of who we are. And uh, that really carried for me throughout the week. I don't know if that was for you as well, but it's something I came back to over and over is that verse from Psalms 139, really looking and examining my heart as it relates to racism and discrimination in our world. And this is the second part of that series, Blind Spots. And so uh, it's going to be different, as you can already see. We have a a group of the New City family with us, uh, which I'm really excited about. So it's not one person bringing the message today. It's an entire panel of New City family members. So we're thrilled to have them with us. And so just a, a point for today, as we all listen, that's a key word, I think, for this message, is listen. And I know it's so easy to hear something and, and react defensively or, or something wells up inside of you and you're not sure what to do. I would just ask that we all pause and listen because I think we all have a different story and some of that's going to come out today based on who we are and how God made us and wired us. And so I really ask for us all together as a family t- to listen and uh, be with us present uh, today. So thank you again for being with us as we kick off the second part of the series in Blind Spots. So as we start and as we begin, I would love for everybody who's up here who is part of the New City family to just introduce themselves and, and share a little bit about their connection to New City. All right. I'm Colleen Odegaard Archdeacon, and I have been a member of the New City family uh, for 10 years. I can normally, when church is not pandemic time, I'll be found sitting in the front row at the Matthews campus almost every Sunday, almost every Sunday. Great. I'm Chris Payne, um, serve here at the church and have been um, 
been here for just over 10 years as well. Um, and excited today to be a part of this. And I'm glad you introduced yourself. That's right. Because, yeah. I mean, just make sure our pastor introduces himself. Quite sure what I do around here always, but 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 I'm here. <laughs> Latarja Henry. I um, am connected as a member of New City Church and had a wonderful opportunity to meet um, at New Charlotte Church through a partnership with uh, CMS Schools. And so, eight years ago, we began a relationship, and they've not been able to shake me since then. Hi, my name is D'Angelo Burse. Uh, my family and I started about eight months ago. We started at the Matthews campus and um, just been down for the ride ever since. And so we're really enjoying it. I have two kids, uh, three kids, actually a 15-year-old <laughs> year old daughter and uh, two sons, six and, six and four. And we all, we all attend the South Park campus. Great. Thank you all. Thank you so much. And again, thank you all for t participating today. We're really excited about this conversation and what God is going to do with it in our church and in our city. Our tagline for the series is Seeking Justice from the Inside Out. Um, Chris, I want to start with you on why do you think it's important for the church, the Big C Church, and New City as a local church to engage in the conversation of racism and seeking justice? Well, that's a great place to start, and I'll add my thanks to my fellow New City family members up here. I'm honored to be to be up here with you and sharing the conversation. Um, I would offer a couple things as we start and, and talk about why this conversation, and, and why now, and why is it important. I, I would begin by saying that uh, one of the backdrops uh, contextually of the New Testament is the idea of reconciliation to one another, particularly among races. And if you look all throughout the New Testament, it, it, it's found. Um, particularly um, in some of Paul's letters to the different churches. And one that sticks out to me is Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, many of us know verses 8 through 10, for it is by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not from our own works so that nobody can boast, but it's the gift of God. But then he, uh, Paul flips that and says, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us. So many of us are familiar with Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. If you keep reading... Uh, Paul launches from there about the whole inner work of the gospel in our lives, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not our own works. It's the gift of the grace of God through the work of Jesus. But God created us for good works that he prepared for us in advance that we might do them and bring honor and glory to our fathers in heaven. And then from there, verse 11 forward, he talks about how we're one in Christ and actually begins the conversation of talking about bringing different groups of people together. And in verse 14, Ephesians 2, um, Paul says that the, I love this, that the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down through Jesus. So, so, so part of what we're up here to talk about is, um, you know, <laughs> well, well, not just a conversation about race. It's really about the human race and, and what God has done to make us one, because that's what, that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, that the dividing wall of hostility between different races has been brought down so that we are one man now in Christ. It's a beautiful passage. So I would start by saying, uh, hopefully not preaching, but I would start by saying that if the conversation about how we begin to pursue racial reconciliation and relationship and justice with one another, if that doesn't happen within the context of the local church, capital C, local churches, then we're not living out the gospel because that's the very backdrop or one of the very backdrops of the New Testament and, and much of which the, the gospel lives against. I would say, secondly, why, why now? Um, because I think if, if the church isn't willing to, to talk about difficult subjects, 
if the church isn't willing to talk about the difference that Christ makes in our lives and, and, and in the culture and in the realities that we're facing, then, then, then where are folks going to turn for an answer? If we're not willing to talk about difficult things, uh, if we're not able to, willing to talk about the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, uh, the sanctity of relationships, uh, racial tension, um, sins of our past, of our presence, even, even things that we are anxious about in the future, then, then where does that happen? And so my, my sort of argument would be uh, that this conversation has to take place. Um, and for New City, we won't do it perfectly. We're going to fumble through it because we're, we're, we're broken people. Um, but we're going to look to Jesus um, as the author and perfecter of our faith and the one who has taken down the wall of hostility, uh, not only between us and God through Jesus, which praise God for that, but now between one another. You know, Paul, Rodney mentioned at the beginning, I'll be quiet, I promise, um, that he read this wonderful passage, which is one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 6-1. And go read it for yourself, please, um, as, as Rodney instructed us. But Paul says, you know, we've been reconciled to Christ, and now Christ has given us a reconciliation ministry with one another. So our reconciliation is first, and again, this is part of the answer to the question, why the church and why New City and why are we having this conversation? Um, Remembering that we've been reconciled to Jesus um, and that's a gift. It's, it's not a, our, our, our works, again, back to say, uh, Ephesians 2. It's, it's a free gift of God by grace through faith. But now, now, God has given us the privilege of a ministry of reconciliation with one another. And if we just stop as a church with Jesus loves me, this I know, and I'm going to heaven, um, and we don't uh, begin to externalize that of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and I'm going to demonstrate that with the way I live towards other people, then we're, we're missing a part of the gospel. Wow, thank you so, so much. I love the piece of... Uh, of just almost going back to what does it mean to be a neighbor? And there, there's, there's a piece in there. Um, come along to just the idea of race, because you mentioned a, a few pieces on, on race as it relates to Scripture. And D'Angelo, we, we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple months, and, and that's, that's blessed me in so many ways. But I think you have such a, a unique and fascinating background to me in theology and social psychology. And you, have, you do a lot of, of work with corporate clients in, in the social psychology organizational consulting world. So when we're looking at race and, and racism and, and prejudice and discrimination, could you help us maybe give some, some color to what those words mean and how we use them and, and some defining moments for those words? Yeah, for sure. Um, I appreciate the question, RJ. Let's, let's start at the very beginning, all right, with the formation of individual attitudes how our attitudes are formed, all right? Now, our, our attitudes reflect our beliefs and our feelings, and they dictate how we behave in the world, all right? Now, our, our attitudes can be made up of implicit attitudes, which are attitudes that are unconscious, right? We talk about implicit bias, which is a sub-concept under implicit attitudes. And then we also have what's called explicit attitudes, all right? These are attitudes that we are consciously aware of, all right? And so our attitudes are formed through direct experience, interaction with others, and also influence of the media. So there's this socialization aspect to attitudes as well. Now, attitudes have three foundations. You can think of them as the ABCs of attitudes, okay? Uh, the A describes affective or emotions. B represents our behavior. 
And C deals with cognition, our intellect, our mind. All right, so for racism to get off the ground, it needs all of these components, the ABCs, all right? So as it relates to our topic, through the socialization, um, through socialization, we develop stereotypes, okay? And so these stereotypes may be understood as negative or unfavorable generalizations assigned virtually to all members of a group, irregardless of the differences that the groups may have. This is the C, the cognitive component of attitudes, primarily dealing with the intellect, okay? And so negative stereotypes fuel prejudice. Prejudice describes a negative emotional response to an individual on the basis of one's feelings about the overall group. All right, so prejudice represents the A, the affective component of attitudes. It involves emotions and how we feel. It deals with the heart. And then we carry out what's in our mind, right, and what's in our heart. And that leads us to discrimination or discriminatory behavior, which is unjust, negative, or harmful actions towards a member of a group solely due to negative attitudes about the group. All right, and so this involves the B, the behavioral component of attitudes. So stereotypes, prejudice, discrimination all have a unique function within the ABCs of attitudes. All right, so here's the connection. Here's the catalyst right here. Essentially, racism is a composition of negative stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination or discriminatory behaviors that are in concert with one another, a symphony resulting from negative attitudes about distinct racial groups. In accordance with this, racism stands on three negative ideological pillars, which can either be expressed in words or actions. So you don't have to say them, you can show them. Uh, the first is ethnocentrism, the belief in the superiority of one's own ethnic group over others, all right? The second is depersonalization, the stripping away of one's individual identity and affirming a mere abstract group identity. So it's no longer D'Angelo Burst, it's just a black guy. And then in its fullest, final, rawest form, dehumanization. And dehumanization is the notion that certain individuals or groups are devoid of certain human defining characteristics. And again, you don't have to say this, you can show it. So some things that come to mind is, are slavery. Uh, we all were outraged by what we saw with George Floyd because we saw the dehumanization of a human being. Now, I'll end with this, RJ. Dehumanization is an assault on the Imago Dei, the image of God. Chris, I didn't say that I was made in the image of God. I didn't say that minorities or that all people were made in the image of God. God said it. So if someone has a problem with the humanization of certain people, then they need to take that up with God. And RJ, my hands are too short to box with God. I don't want those problems, all right? And so that's how I would explain those, those various concepts related to, relating to racism. Powerful descriptors, yeah. for sure, especially ending in the dehumanization. Because I, I think, at least what I take from that is, when it happens dehumanization, we're, we're devoid of relationship. 
Yeah. There, like, there's no relational connection yeah. at, at that point. Are there any modern kind of examples or, or expressions yeah. that, that come to mind for you? Well, I think racism has taken on a, a modern form, and a number of social psychologists have defined various modern forms of racism, and, and they include uh, concepts like symbolic racism, uh, racial resentment, subtle prejudice, racial ambivalence, aversive racism, and laissez-faire racism. Now, what these modern forms have in common is that they're more subtle and indirect, all right? And they're an evolution of historical racism within America. Now, here's the kicker. On the surface, there's an espousal to egalitarian beliefs because people just don't come out and say, I'm biased today, right? However, the manifestation of these attitudes tend to support expressions of negative stereotypes. There's an avoidance of racial outgroups or minorities, or an avoidance of the issue of race altogether. There's mixed feelings about blacks or minorities as a whole. Now this is different between, from having mixed feelings about D'Angelo Burst. This is mixed feelings about a group. There's microaggressions, which are slights, indignities, and put downs. Lack of sympathy and denying any personal responsibility for racism. Here's a big one. There's a concealing of racist attitudes behind traditional moral values. Now let's just pause right there for a second. And this feeds into policy preferences that only appear, only appear to disadvantage minorities. There's a denial of the existence of disadvantage, the belief that, that blacks are getting more than they deserve, that blacks are unwilling to work hard and blame the system too much, and then voting for white government candidates over black candidates or minority candidates simply due to race. This is the these are the, some of the commonalities in the social psychological literature that describe these more mod modern forms of racism that we see today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. And actually, kind of where I go from that is, Colleen, you and I even had a conversation earlier this week on some of your experiences growing up as a, as a Vietnamese woman and your family. And I think it kind of goes so much to what D'Angelo just described in um, how people treat groups of people that might look different. Very much so, very much so. I say I'm mixed race, I am half Vietnamese, and my father is white, and so a lot of times people look at me and they're not quite exactly sure what it is. But So I, I approach this with the lens that growing up as a minority and seeing what my mother went through, um, I've talked about this before, I have been called all kinds of derogatory names, racial slurs that people use against Asians, which I will not say here. I have been called that to my face. Um, I, even, I used to anchor the morning news um, for many years, and I got a handwritten letter to the TV station, and it said, what's wrong with your eyes? Are you a beep? Used a terrible word. Oh, yes. Um, and my mother, you know, growing up, uh, my mother speaks, she speaks English, but it's broken English. She has a thick accent. And I heard people say things, you know, to to her face, if she was having a hard time communicating with someone, they weren't understanding her, or she wasn't understanding, whether it's a store clerk or somewhere like the DMV, you know, some real stinker like that. And she'd be trying to communicate, and if she didn't quite understand, people would get so, you know, and you'd, you'd get a, she would get a lot of that, and I could feel myself getting hot. I remember being a kid and feeling that. And, and they would say things like, you know, if you're gonna live in this country, you really need to learn how to speak English. 
she had people say to her, go back to your country. I remember being at a car with her in a, sh in a mall parking lot and people go back to your country. And that did something to me growing up. So, you know, I'm not claiming to understand the, the black experience. However, I do, that is the lens through which I see the world. And, you know, at one point we had several of my Vietnamese relatives living in our home. They were sleeping on our living room floor. My father sponsored my mother's family. So it was my grandparents, aunts, uncles, some cousins. And what I saw were, you know, grateful and scared people in a country where they didn't know anybody but us and didn't speak the language and worked hard and went to community college and took jobs at convenience stores and did whatever they had to do. And so when I hear, and this gets me a little bit emotional because when I hear people present day, if you're gonna live in this country, you gotta learn to speak the language. All I think about are my, my relatives sleeping on the living room floor, studying their English books. You know, I think that if we could show Christ in those interactions, if we could be kind, I mean, a, a kind word and a smile, does that not go a long way? I remember when people would meet my mother with that, if they were having communications problems, you know, or if I had to intervene, and if someone would just look at her, you know, with a nice smile or the intent of understanding, it was a game changer. So, um, so I come to the table with that. And, and I, I, I even recently had somebody say to me, uh, at her workplace, she works with lots of folks in the Latinx community, and she said to me, you know, it's really frustrating because they need to learn how to speak English. If I'm gonna work with them, I can't understand them. They need to speak English if they're gonna live in this country. And RJ, I'll tell you, I, I feel convicted about this, but I didn't say anything in that moment. I didn't say anything. And I, if, uh, God told me from here on out, you speak up and you share your experience, not to condemn anybody, not to condemn anybody, but just to say, yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know, my experience is this. This is what I saw with my Vietnamese relatives. So I have vowed to not miss those opportunities when they present themselves to me. Well, first, let, let me just um, respond with two things. One is, wow, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, that, that takes a lot of courage in a panel um, to, to be vulnerable. So um, thank you for that. And I also think it reinforces the, the, the power of, of listening and being able to step in. Uh, to a situation um, that God calls you to. So um, thank you so much for, for sharing with us this morning and our, and our family. Uh, Latarja, um, kind of a s similar question. I, I mean, you started with, you got connected with New City through, through school church partnerships. And, and New City's been heavily involved in, in school uh, partnerships for, for years and years and years. And um, I know our, our community has been blessed by that. And um, but I also know you have a perspective being a part of New City and helping foster school partnerships uh, with kids that look very different than a lot of New City families and volunteers. Could you share a little bit of, of absolutely, that experience? Absolutely. So probably about maybe 15 years ago, uh, the school district uh, declared that we definitely wanted to be in relationship with houses of worship all across the community. And this was 15 years ago. And we had what was called a faith summit. And from that, we actually created a template of ways that we would engage and ask houses of worship to engage with schools. And so fast forward, um, um, New Charlotte at the time um, actually identified two schools, Greenway Park and Idlewild, to be in relationship with. And as a result of that partnership, we actually uh, began talking, building relationships. Um, and in that, um, I've seen lots of wonderful things happen. As a part of that movement, 
There have been many houses of worship, many, many. We're tremendously blessed by that, that have met the call to say we will help uh, schools in need. We will plug in gaps, which is tremendously helpful to the school system because, as you know, we can't do it all. We, we can't educate and meet all the needs of the children in our community. So we're very grateful for that. But what is such a challenge, and it, it really does dovetail well on the examples that you lifted up, D'Angelo, is that in that space of giving, um, what often we bump into is that wonderful, well-intentioned houses of worships, worship, and for this conversation, churches um, identify schools that are in the opposite sides of town than the churches are in, which means that there is this interesting interaction between affluence or white affluence and poverty. And in that moment, our blind spot around what poverty looks like, where it exists in Charlotte, what it feels like, what the experiences of of poverty um, appear or show up as in schools is prevalent. So you put those two things together, a, a, a house of worship or a church that wants to help a specific kind of school with kids who perhaps are from poverty, families that are from poverty, and in that moment say, what are your needs? What's been very interesting to me is to see how many churches are willing to meet people where they are and become and begin with relationship first versus wanting to meet the need that they think or believe a group of individual kids that live on a certain part of town need. So to say it more plain, like it's easy to give, um, and there's nothing wrong with it, there, there are needs. It's easy to give um, underwear and those kind of toiletry items, it might be a little harder to say, what can we do? How can we live and do life together so that I can understand what it is you really need and be about the business of doing that? And so in that moment, what is so frustrating is that the very thing that we need to disrupt in order to get to reconciliation, we come up against that especially through the church, because it, it, it requires us to look differently and to think differently about how to meet need and how to be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I may not understand, but aren't these children, isn't this group of people worthy of everything that I want from my family and my kids in the schools where they attend, in the neighborhoods where they live? Those should be very similar paths, but they're not. And they're not because they're actually anchored in all of those wonderful definitions around racism, structural exclusion, and that gets in the way of relationship building, which then gets in the way of us breaking some of those stereotypes that keep us rooted and grounded and being against us against them. Wow. I mean, even that final statement, us against them. Chris, yes. I think you wanted to, to well, share that. Well, I just wanted to thank my friend because uh, you've helped us so much as a church yes um to learn um relationship and how to enter in and hopefully um to 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 be a church that's showing up um and with open hands to say we're, we're not here with an agenda we're here to serve and to learn and to be in relationship i hope oh, absolutely 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 and it is happening and and again i want to to be clear that what what i lifted up is really um a small example, but I think if we could turn the corner on that, we could transform Charlotte. Wow. And we can transform education, and we can transform experiences for our children all across this community. And, and the word that I come back to is one that D'Angelo uses, Imago Day. 
It's really looking at the person across from us as made in the image of God and how that should come back to examining our heart on, on what God is doing in our heart. A question I'd love to, all of you to answer, um, including you, Chris. Um, would love to look at what thoughts or advice do you have for the New City family? Again, we're all part of New City, so everybody who, who's watching this, this uh, broadcast, what thoughts or advice do you have for us as we seek to examine our hearts for blind spots? Jump right in, Colleen. Well, you know, we've talked about this unconscious bias that so many of us have in all the different places where it comes from. But I have this mantra, and I just say this to myself all the time. Whenever I'm having a difficult conversation, and, and as of late, you know, these conversations about race that can feel very uncomfortable, or even if it's a fight with my husband or something, I think, like, just let God in. And I just, I say it over and over because I think, let God in. If I were to do that, if I were to really meditate on that and I'm feeling keyed up because someone's really making me mad and, you know, and I just think, let God in. It kind of slows it all down. But you talked about listening. I think listening with the intent of understanding and dropping the defensiveness, you know, being quick to listen and slow to speak. Can we do that? Can we really do that? Do we believe that? Yes, we're told to do that. You know, can we really do that? To listen with the intent of understanding where you lean in and you're curious and you ask questions. It's okay. Right now it's okay if you don't know about this experience or that experience, but now it's incumbent upon all of us as Christ followers to learn more and so to lean in and ask questions. So listen with the intent of understanding. Don't be so quick to talk and have your argument ready to go. Just soften and I think let God in and just kind of be willing to do that. And it's hard because it's uncomfortable. I'm going to stand up. I'm getting all sweaty here, but, but uh, you, you got to hold me back. But I think it's hard because we don't like to admit these things in ourselves. Right. We don't like it. When, when you have that feeling about right. something, and, and I think we all do, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, but, you know, for people who get upset, they feel some certain way physically in their bodies when they hear Black Lives Matter or you see a post on social media and they think, well, what are you saying? That all lives don't matter? Nobody is saying that. And if you don't understand that by now, I just I, I implore you to just consider that for a moment. To listen. To, to listen <laughs> and not be so quick to be defensive, mm -hmm. to just, yes to be quick to listen. So I think it's because we don't want to admit. I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not racist. You know, lots of people are saying that. Everybody has some unconscious bias in them. And this isn't to condemn anybody, but it's just to be able to let God into those dark spots of our heart. And, you know, are we loving our neighbors? Mm -hmm. Do we believe that, you know, we were all made in the image of God? Not just me, you and you and you and you and all of you, everybody watching. You know, and to really let that transform us. If it doesn't change our behavior, then, I mean, what are we doing? You know, it has, Chris said, you know, it has to be about more than just, you know, okay, now I'm saved and I'm good. It, we have to be about more than pursuing our comfortable suburban lives and be able to be willing to make some friends who don't look like you. If you look around and your friend group is homogenous and everyone looks just like you, I would encourage you to go out and try to meet some new people and make some new friends when the pandemic's over. But, <laughs> but you know, you bring up an interesting point too, because I do believe that we are all one. We are one. And so that means in order for you, when you are happy or when you're successful, I'm successful. When you're struggling, I should struggle. And so this notion of us being one, this, this universal oneness means that until we're all happy and whole and that the fundamental promises made for everyone are actually for everyone, then we've got work to do. 
And so that whole notion of being able to, to humble yourself as soon as you get that feeling, examine what that feeling is, take a breath, and say, what am I supposed to learn in this? And how can I lean into my faith to figure out how I can make this circumstance better? Not different, but better, right? It, it, can I say real quick, because I know I, I want D'Angelo and Chris to respond. I, I just want to say, Latarja, I've actually seen that in action in you. And, you know, we have a relationship that goes back years and years. And we, um, I'm blessed to serve on some boards with you in, in the city and doing ministry. And um, you have just an amazing ability to live out what you just described in your own life. So I just want to say thank you because I've been impacted personally by your ability to, to listen, to digest, to to get your thoughts together and be able to push back into it in a way um, that's full of grace and truth. So thank you. Thank you for that. But I I have to say this, um, that's God. That is God. And it takes tremendous prayer and faith because a part of that is that you're bringing that in, right? Because not all of it ends well. (laughs) It doesn't all end well, let's be clear. Um, But I do think that 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 is the burden that we all face as Christ followers, to be able to find that space and to be resilient, to do it day in and day out. And for some of us, hour on top of hour. That's a, that's a hard one. Angela? Yeah, so yeah, what I would say as it relates to racial uh, dynamics, examine the first things, all right? So the, the first thing you think when it comes to these racial dynamics, the first thing you say, the first thing you do, mm-hmm. Um, here's a story. We live in a, on a cul-de-sac, and there was this young teenager that was always speeding down the cul-de-sac. I mentioned I had two boys that are always outside playing. So I, I, I said something to him the first time. I told him to slow down. Uh, he did it again. I said it a little, I said it, I told him again, but it was a little, it was a little different. And then there was a third time. And the third time, it was, it was a little different, right? So I had to call the, call the police so that we could try to bring some attention to the situation. So when the police arrives, he wants to know the description of the gentleman. And so I started, I started with the car. And then I started, because I, I, I'm a social psychologist, I have to be aware of these things, right? <laughs> I pointed out his color of his hair. You know, he looks like he's about 18. The, the, and the police got frustrated and stopped me. He said, was he white or black? That wasn't my first thing because I didn't want it to be my first thing. Right. And so I think that for the church, I think that what we can do is examine those first things. Because mm. just as you mentioned, you know, we do have those unconscious biases and we have to, we have to keep them in check. So that would be my answer to that. Wow. I love that. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I would just offer, uh, Pastor Rodney mentioned last week, um, you know, the idea that when David prays the prayer in Psalm 139, um, search me, O oh God, which I love that word. Search me. Um, it's just, there's such humility in those words. Begin with me, Lord. Um, it's me today standing in the need of prayer. Um, but I think it was interesting, you know, when, when Pastor Rodney talked about this, that when David's praying that prayer and saying those words, search me, O oh God, and know me. Um, see, see if there be any wicked way in me, anything that doesn't please you and, and lead me in the way everlasting. God already knows him. So really, I love what he said. It's really in, when, when I pray that psalm, Psalm 139, 23, 24, it's really an invitation for me to know myself. 
through the lens of Christ, which as Christ followers, our identity is now in him. And so when, when, when David prays that prayer, search me, O God, and know me, um, it's really an invitation for us to know ourselves. And as we talk about the idea of blind spots, to be able to say, Lord, I, I, I need your help to see me uh, for who I really am. Um, and particularly in the areas that I fall short of your standard, which is, last time I checked, perfection and holiness. And last time I checked, none of us uh, are there. Um, and so I just, I think, you know, in terms of to answer your question, RJ, I think I just would add practically, um, I, I, it begins with us. It, 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 you know, as you listen, as you watch today, it's easy to think about your child, your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker. Uh, your pastor, <laughs> um, other people, and to point out things about them. David says, search me. Um, it's me today standing before you, Jesus. Um, and as I've received your grace and love and mercy, as I've been forgiven, as I've been accepted, as I've been made one, the longest prayer that Jesus prays for us mm-hmm. is John 17, uh, for his disciples, make us one. Um, and that's a process, to, to become one with Christ um, through faith, by, by, by grace, but also with one another to, to understand that we're one in Christ and to live that way and treat each other that way. I, I would offer, sorry, if I can take one more minute, because um, this is one that I hear a lot, with, which is, why is the church talking about po- politics? Why is the church talking about political things? Please, please hear my heart in this. This is not primarily a political issue. This is a gospel issue that has been captured by politics, and I'm afraid that the church for far too long has lost its voice in being able to speak to this as primarily a biblical issue. And for us to recapture that, as D'Angelo reminded us, he made us in his image. That, that wasn't our idea. That's what God said, that all people are made in his image and have dignity. And so... I think the church has to, has to recapture its, its biblical narrative and understanding and foundation to stand on the, the solid rock of Jesus and say, what we have to offer is unique and really is the answer, is, is that we can be reconciled to God through Christ and we can pursue true reconciliation, true reconciliation, not just appeasement, not just niceties. Mm. Uh, I mean, that would be, that'd be yeah. great to start there, uh, to be nice to one another but true reconciliation um, through Christ. And so that's, that's what I would offer is when, when I hear this, is a, this, why are we talking politics, I cringe because I'm afraid that politics has grabbed the narrative that belongs to Christ's followers. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to find our voice and be able to, to stand on that. Well, and I also think that the whole notion that it is singular to politics is a distraction because it is playing out in every aspect. And we know this now because we're sitting um, six feet apart, kind of, um, in our own places during this pandemic, right? Um, Examining different areas of our living, how we're interacting with one another. And what is showing up is not political. It is injustice in every system that exists, healthcare education, uh, housing, all of those things are showing up. Those are not political things. Those are systems in which we live and work and live and breathe. And so I, I think that it's important not to get distracted by calling it something so that we're not tending to the hearts and minds of, of God's world, his people. 
Wow, thank you. Well, is I think it's the perfect last question that that I'd love for D'Angelo and, and Latarja and Colleen to um, to respond to, especially out of um, Chris, your thoughts on the gospel right here. What difference has being a Christ follower made on your own personal journey as it relates to racism and what you face? How has that impacted your journey? Well, for me, I, I want to I see things from God's perspective. You know, if, if God wanted a monoracial world, we would be living in a monoracial world. <laughs> there would be, you know, ethnic similarity all over the place. I think that would be egregiously boring. Um, so there's something intrinsically and inherently beautiful about the diversity of ethnic ethnicities, you know what I mean, different ethnic groups. And I believe that that will carry on throughout eternity. You know, I don't think that I lose that, you know. Um, and RJ, I, I want to get on the boat now, not when it's pulling off, you know. And, I, and unfortunately, so many people, I think they're going to get on the boat a little too, a little too late when it's pulling off. Wow. So that's, that's, that would be my answer to that. Great. Thank you. So uh, I, too, um, see God as the ultimate creator. And I absolutely believe that God created everything beautifully. Everything is beautiful. I don't believe there's an ugly thing in the world. I believe you can act ugly. But I don't believe that he created anything not purposeful. And so what has helped me in my journey is to realize that um, as one of his creations, I have to extend the same uh, love and peace and joy he extends to me every day. My job is to do that. Now, I also see Jesus as a justice warrior. He pursued it every day that he was on this earth. And if I am to aspire to be like him, then that is my call. And I will pursue it as vigorously as he did. That's beautiful. So Thank you. So good. It's as simple as this for me. It's loving God and loving people. And I just, I come back to that. I like mantras. They help me to, you know, to repeat things over and over. But it's loving God and loving people. And in my quiet times, in those still quiet moments in prayer when I'm with God. And I just know that is my job. Not just certain people. Not just the people. Not even just the people I like. You know, and I'm not, I'm still working. God's still working on me with this sometimes with certain people. But, but you know, to, just to love God and love people. And I, I try to let that, you know, be sort of my guide every day. Wow. Thank you. As we kind of close out our time, I, I just want to say thank you to each of you for being willing to, to step up here in a unique fashion uh, for our online service, um, kind of all together um, teaching each other, uh, up here teaching each other, and for everybody um, online. Um, thank you for your vulnerability, for your willing to, to step in with us, uh, with me and Chris, in this, in this process for New City Church. So I'm grateful and, and very thankful for your, your willingness to, to do that today. Um, any parting words before I turn it over to Chris? I know he's got a few thoughts that we're going to close with, and we close out our time this morning. Can I just say this? Absolutely. I really think that the way we change this, too, it's moment by moment and conversation by mm -hmm. conversation. 
you know, sometimes it can feel it's this is so big. What can I do? Literally, moment by moment and conversation by conversation. And like I said earlier, I will not miss opportunities uh, to educate in love, of course. I'll try to do it the way Latarja does it in truth and in love. <laughs> I can get a little fiery like my mom sometimes. But to remember that and, and to not miss those moments and not take them for granted. And it can be, you know, just a simple interaction with someone you have for a moment, whether, you know, you're at the grocery store or wherever it might be. So moment by moment and conversation by conversation. Yeah, I would say that we tend to interpret the world through our own experiences oftentimes. It's called own experience bias. Um, and what I would say is, is let's try to care for one another. Let's try to get outside of our own experiences um, because what we may find is, is there's something different on the other side. You know? so, yeah. Well, what the world needs more now than ever is more love. And so even when it's difficult to do, I think we should pursue loving one another, loving the ones that don't love us. And that's the challenge. Great. Thank you. Great. Let me just add my thanks and love to each of you. I'm grateful to be uh, in the family of God with you and in this particular family called New City for this season. I'm grateful and thank you for your offering today. Um, I think I speak for everyone um, that we're grateful for each of you. And um, are honored to, to hear from you today. So thank you. I want to give a, a, a shameless plug for adjustcity.us. It's a resource page that we've created as a church. It's full of all kinds of great resources, curriculum, material for um, every age, um, for children, for students as well, for families, individuals, groups. would love for you to visit that, adjustcity.us and find some resources. And I want to challenge each of us to, to go further with the conversation. Um, to take to take more steps. Um, how, how about this for a verse as we as we close today? Um, just as we were sitting here and listening to each of you was so challenged in so many good ways. Um, Philippians four five, Paul says to the church at Philippi, "Let your reasonableness be known to all men, because the Lord is near." So as we think about our blind spots and seeking justice from the inside out that we would think about this in a reasonable way and start with ourselves and then think about our relationships with other people and take a breath. And when our defenses start to build up, which they all do because we're broken people who don't oftentimes want to look at our stuff, um, that we would remember that the Lord is near and that he's calling us because he's so gracious and loving, not because of our works. He's calling us to himself because he loved us so much. He stepped out of heaven the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And he's asking us to, to do the same in relationship to other people. So we love you and we're grateful to be able to share uh, this message with you. Let's pray together as we close today. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for his perfect love, his perfect example of truth and of grace, of mercy and of justice. And in a world that is so awash and so loud with opinions and thoughts and ideas and politics and organizations and uh, you name it, just so loud, we look to the, the one who speaks with a still small voice, a voice of truth, a voice that never changes, that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We stand on the gospel of grace because that's all we can stand on is your grace and your mercy towards us. But we also take steps 
as we stand in that truth, we want to take steps not only towards you, Jesus, but towards others, particularly those who may not look like us or live like us or have the same experiences. As D'Angelo said, that, that diversity under the, under the banner of Jesus is beautiful, not divisive. It is beautiful. It is your creation, which you made good and perfect. And so may we look to you, Jesus. And again, as we, as we feel sometimes our defenses rise and um, the, the, the temptation to want to, to want to lash out or be angry or fearful, may we hear your voice of truth, that we are loved, and out of that love and grace that we would love others. Thank you for my fellow family members who are up here with me today. For those who are watching, we submit ourselves to you fully, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Wow, what a powerful conversation we just witnessed. Such a great reminder to me of, of how important it is that we take the time to listen and share with one another and be willing to be vulnerable as we grow through this process together. Because everybody has a context and all of us have been through things that shape the way we view the world and how we feel. And so I hope that was just as much of a blessing to you as it was to me. And next week we'll take a look at the scriptures and, and look at what, what it looks like to live this out. To live this out as we continue to grow and be accountable to each other. So I want you to do me a favor, extend your hands and receive this benediction before we end our time together. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, New City. We love you. I find it so powerful and inspiring to hear the stories and perspectives of other believers. I hope you enjoyed that conversation today. And our team's put together a really great resource to help you go further on this subject. AdjustCity.us is the website, and, and it has all sorts of books and movies and podcasts. And as a parent, not just for me, but also for my kids. So we can start having this conversation or continue it as a family. So true. It's a wonderful resource. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today, New City. We hope you have a great week. We love you.